The House is in recess this week. The Senate will return today and stay in session through Thursday. Last week in the House, the House came back to work on Tuesday and took up and passed two bills under suspension of the rules. On Wednesday, the House took up and passed the rule governing floor consideration of the bill to raise the debt ceiling, H.R. 2811, the Limit, Save, Grow Act. As is quite common, the rule passed on a straight party line vote, 219 to 210. Then the House took up and passed a bill under suspension of the rules. And then the House took up and passed H.R. 2811, the Limit, Save, Grow Act, by a single vote, 217 to 215. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Then the House took up and passed another bill under suspension. On Thursday, the House took up H.Con Res. 30, directing the President, pursuant to Section 5C of the War Powers Resolution, to remove all United States armed forces, other than United States armed forces assigned to protect the United States Embassy, from Somalia. The resolution failed by a vote of 102 to 321, with Republicans voting 52 to 165, and Democrats voting 50 to 156. On Friday, the House took up H.J. Res. 39, a Congressional Review Act resolution of disapproval, disapproving the rule submitted by the Department of Commerce relating to procedures covering suspension of liquidation, duties, and estimated duties in accord with Presidential Proclamation 10414. This is a significant CRA resolution of disapproval against a Biden administration action. A June 2022 emergency proclamation allows imports of Chinese solar products with no additional tariffs for two years, guaranteeing unfair competition for American solar panel manufacturers. Congressman Bill Posey's H.J. Res. 39 would block this rule from going into effect and would thereby reinstate tariffs on solar panel imports. The resolution passed by a vote of 221 to 202, with 12 Democrats crossing party lines to vote in favor of it, and eight Republicans crossing party lines to vote against it. And then they were done. Last week in the Senate, the Senate came back on Tuesday and voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Joshua David Jacobs to be Undersecretary for Benefits of the Department of Veterans Affairs. On Wednesday, the Senate voted to confirm him to that position. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the motion to proceed to S-326, a bill to direct the Secretary of Veterans Affairs to carry out a study and clinical trials on the effects of cannabis on certain health outcomes of veterans with chronic pain and post-traumatic stress disorder. The resolution was rejected by a vote of 57 to 42. Then the Senate took up and passed S.J. Res. 11, a Congressional Review Act resolution of disapproval of the rules submitted by the Environmental Protection Agency relating to control of air pollution from new motor vehicles, heavy-duty engine and vehicle standards. The Senate rejected the resolution by a vote of 51 to 47. On Thursday, the Senate took up S.J. Res. 4, a joint resolution removing the deadline for ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment. The Senate rejected the resolution by a vote of 51 to 47. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Anthony DeVos Johnstone to be a U.S. Circuit Judge for the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And then they were done. This week in the Senate, the Senate will return today with the first vote set for 5.30 p.m. At that time, the Senate is scheduled to proceed to a roll call vote on confirmation of Anthony DeVos Johnstone to be a U.S. Circuit Judge for the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals.
In addition, Majority Leader Schumer may attempt to bring to the floor, via a unanimous consent request, a resolution condemning former President Trump's call to defund the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Department of Justice. Now to the continuing Biden crime crime family saga. On Thursday, the House Ways and Means Committee held an oversight hearing with Commissioner of Internal Revenue Danny Werfel. Committee Chairman Jason Smith, Republican of Missouri, spoke to Werfel in his opening remarks of the appearance the previous week of an IRS whistleblower. Quote, last week, a whistleblower came forward with troubling claims about abuses of power, he said. We are conducting a review of this matter and will go wherever the facts lead us. I expect full cooperation from the IRS, particularly with regard to ensuring this whistleblower is protected from retaliation. The Ways and Means Committee officially sent a letter authorizing two attorneys for the IRS whistleblower to gather information from their client about what alleged wrongdoing he claims he witnessed and to transmit that information to Congress. That letter frees him and his attorneys to send private tax information to the Congress without running afoul of the tax privacy laws. On the other side of the Capitol, Senate Finance Committee Chairman Ron Wyden, Democrat of Oregon, is expected to follow suit. Now to illegal immigration. House Republicans, having pushed through their legislation to raise the debt ceiling in exchange for significant spending cuts, now are preparing for consideration of another hugely important piece of their agenda, legislation to get the border crisis under control. Over the past several weeks, they've been working in two separate committees, the Judiciary Committee and the Homeland Security Committee, to put together comprehensive legislation to address the many aspects of the problem. They will combine two packages of bills, one from each committee of jurisdiction, and bring them to the floor together in the month of May. Their hope, in fact, is to bring the package to the floor on May 11th, the day President Biden has already announced he will end the COVID public health emergency and, with it, Title 42. Legislation to deal with illegal immigration was one of the House Republicans' highest priorities. The package was originally slated to be considered in late January, just days after the new Congress launched, but ran into trouble when it became clear there were significant disagreements within the conference over the right approach. Leadership delayed the effort amid the infighting between immigration hawks like Chip Roy and centrists like Tony Gonzalez, both of Texas. When Roy first introduced his legislation in the Judiciary Committee, some Republican centrists suggested it made it too difficult for valid asylum seekers to enter the country. They said they would oppose the legislation as written. So it was rewritten to their satisfaction during the Judiciary Committee's 12-hour markup session on April 19. Now to the Julie Sue nomination. On Wednesday of last week, the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee voted to advance President Biden's nominee to serve as Secretary of Labor, Julie Sue, on a straight party-line vote. Her nomination now moves to the full Senate, where her fate is uncertain. California Democrat Senator Dianne Feinstein's continued absence from the Senate as she recovers from a bout with shingles complicates matters for the nomination. Without Feinstein, the Democrats are down to a 50 to 49 advantage, which means that any single Democrat could block Sue's confirmation by switching sides and voting with the Republicans. As of our last count, there are at least four Senate Democrats and one independent who have yet to publicly declare their intention to vote for Sue. The four Democrats are West Virginia's Joe Manchin, Montana's John Tester, 
and Arizona's Mark Kelly and Kirsten Cinema. The Independent, who caucuses with the Democrats, is Maine's Angus King. Now let's get to the debt ceiling. H.R. 2811, the Limit Save Grow Act, also known as the Debt Ceiling Bill, passed 217 to 215 on Wednesday, but only after New York Republican George Santos, yes, the talented Mr. Santos, called attention to himself by casting the final vote for the measure. The tally hung at 216 to 215, with no time left on the clock, when Santos prompted the clerk to call his name and ask loudly how he would vote. Santos may be only a freshman, but he's been around long enough to learn that votes in the House are not like baseball, where a tie goes to the runner. In the House, a tie vote kills the measure at hand. So with the tally at 216 in favor and 215 opposed, Santos knew he had the power to cast a no vote to tie and therefore kill the bill. With all eyes on him, he demonstrated his loyalty to Speaker McCarthy and his GOP colleagues by casting his vote in favor of the measure. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about the particulars of the bill because it's unlikely the bill will be taken up by the Senate. What the passage of this bill does, that is the reason it's important, is that it shows President Biden and Senate Majority Leader Schumer that when it comes to the debt ceiling, Speaker McCarthy can corral his GOP votes to control the floor of the House. It gives McCarthy chips at the table, so to speak, and shows Biden and Schumer that they have to deal with McCarthy in a way they had hoped they wouldn't have to. The ball is now in Schumer's court. The House has passed a bill to raise the debt ceiling. The House is now the only one of the three legs of the three-legged stool to have done what is necessary to prevent a default. This is not a reconciliation bill. It will need to clear the 60-vote threshold just to get on the floor of the Senate, which means that even if Senator Feinstein has returned, it will still take at least nine Republican votes to invoke cloture on a motion to proceed to get a debt ceiling increase on the floor of the Senate. And that means that Senator McConnell, who presumably has a good handle on the Republican votes in the upper chamber, has some leverage when he sits with Schumer to discuss what will be in the Senate bill. Since McCarthy and the House have already passed a bill that raises the debt limit, the pressure now will be on Schumer to make concessions to McConnell to get McConnell to agree to provide the needed GOP votes to bring the bill to the floor. The Secretary of the Treasury, you will recall, says she may run out of the ability to deploy her smoke and mirrors accounting tricks to continue funding the government by mid-June. That's just six weeks away from now. The clock is ticking. And that's our Washington Report for this week.